Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard, and with me as always, we got James Maxwell, we got Ty Lee, and we are here to talk that da- we're here to talk about an absolute stomping. The Sooners rolled over the Cornhuskers 49 to 14. Um, and this one was just remarkable. I, I think all of us had uh, you know, some hopes that this would be a good game, but uh this was just a, an absolute blowout you know, other than like three tough drives. So let's get this thing started. Jameson, uh, you had your kind of first reaction pod uh, yesterday, but um, what was your reaction to uh, to that game? Were you surprised to see how OU performed? Yeah, I, I actually was. I did not think that our defense was going to play that way. Obviously, that first drive gave us some hiccups, made us think for a little bit, oh, no. This could be something like the big noon. Did did you see all the big noons predictions, Bobby? Pretty much all of them had it close. And two of them, Reggie Bush and Urban Meyer, had Nebraska winning that game, which was wow. absolutely comical. Well, I mean, I understand one of the four people being close. Like, but really? That's insane. Urban is uh Urban's trying to suck up to the donors so that his contract he's about to sign well, has a little yeah. juice here. And he wants dude, the players to stay. Urban <laughs> was just sitting there. He looked he looked like he was in another galaxy. He had the transition sunglasses yeah, on. Just had looking the, uh, I was like, what the is this uncut gems. He had the uncut gems <laughs> look going. <laughs> he's, just, he's just sitting here thinking like, oh, man, how, how quick can I just get to my little I, I, my pub in Dublin, Ohio? He looked, it literally looked to me like he was Urban Meyer doing a Halloween costume of Adam Sandler from, from Uncut Gems. <laughs> Unreal. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, That's why we can't believe they did that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I can. It really was. And I think Reggie Bush kind of hedged it at halftime. He was like, I was kind of buying into the hype of the home crowd and the energy and everything. Were they just being, you know, <laughs> typical media people and just playing the part? But all four of them had um, Nebraska covering. So the whole big noon cast didn't think much of this game in terms of Oklahoma. And Oklahoma shut up all the naysayers and shut me up too in terms of the offensive line play. And a lot of like my defensive um, kind of concerns. Offensive line looked great, especially the left side. I think McKay Metallier played really well, and Anton Harrison played amazing. That he that kind of game is where um, NFL scouts will look at him as a possible high end draft pick. And then the defense. I said that um, the past couple episodes. I'm not going to form an opinion on this defense that is legitimate until I see them versus a, a high powered offense with skilled players like Nebraska. And we shut them down after that first drive. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, that was something that to me as well, like, you know, Nebraska, obviously they have their faults. They have their issues. That is a broken, not very good football team. But up until, you know, yesterday, their offense was always like the best part. They could always move the ball down the field. And that that went across the board for every single game they played. Um, but wow, that just an absolute dominating performance on defense, uh, absolutely stepped up what Britton Venables has been able to do in just a short off season is, is uh, remarkable. And you got to give a lot of credit to him, to, to uh, Ted roof, um, Miguel Chavis, all those guys, all those guys just really, really have completely t- changed this defense around total 180 uh, in just a short, short time. Ty, what, what, what'd you think? Yeah, I had a couple big things that, that jumped to mind and they're not, Fortunately, they're not super surface level, but they're good sort of teasers for what we're about to dive into. One was adjustments. 
uh, and our ability to adjust to people. Like we said, we started out really slow. We started out really slow last week as well. And, and obviously with a sample size of, of two, even including our first game, three games that were very, very weak opponents. Uh, and you certainly would not expect a team that just fired their head coach uh, only days before to be able to have a coaching staff that can make in-game adjustments very well. But it seems like we are a team that is becoming very, very good both defensively and especially offensively uh, at making in-game adjustments, which is really exciting because that's something that we've seen in the past 10 or so years with the teams that have been winning championships. They've been teams that have always known uh, or have always been known to adjust really well. Think of it like a, the stereotypical Nick Saban teams that in close games, uh, he will generally win the second half because he is is able to adjust and his staffs are able to adjust. And then other than that, uh, this is kind of a weird one. Uh, not necessarily sure how much it applies, but uh, I felt, at least from watching it, Bobby, I'm sure you'll be able to report a little bit more having gone, but I felt that there was a lot of respect with this game from uh, outside viewership, even though it wasn't necessarily a lot of people, I guess, in, in the media. College game day kind of did the same. They were expecting it to be a little bit closer uh, which is in hindsight funny, especially considering all the Nebraska factors. But uh, there was a lot of respect for the the tradition and the history of this game from OU fans, from what I was seeing and saw that from our viewer and, and listener responses, but then also just the national media and, and, and uh, fans of the sport and fans of the other teams as well. But then respect from the teams on the field. You know, we got to see uh, what I will call two and a half quarters of, of football game because at like seven minutes to go in the third, uh, the game was over and it became a, a mutual practice time for both teams. And, and we sort of respected that, you know, they, we definitely could have held them to seven. They earned that first seven. And, you know, the guys that went out there and scored again, earned their second seven, but it was, uh, it was backups and it was guys that normally don't get play on both sides of the ball for both teams out there getting some reps in and, and uh, the entire mood certainly on TV seemed like it shifted and, and you could see a lot of, of coaching happening with Nebraska and, and their quarterback uh, or their backup quarterback as well. And some of their other guys and the same on OU side. And there was that, that mutual respect of, of, Hey, you know, we've got this, we're not going to continue to run up the score on you guys. We were trying not to score actively a lot of the time and, yeah. and just getting people reps. And, and I think respect is, is a good one word summary for this game. Respect what OU did respect our performance and, respect the rivalry and, and the teams respected each other. It was beautiful to see. Yeah, no, I, I think the respect factor absolutely there. And I, I think to me as well, like it was clear that Nebraska really, you know, they, they still, and OU both still cared about this rivalry. Uh, I think there was a question. We, I mean, we talked about this last week. Does this rivalry still really mean anything? What does it, does it have any bearing? And it's clear being in Lincoln that entire weekend that it's something that they missed that they really appreciated. Um, the amount, the respect was off the charts, especially on the fan side of things. Nebraska uh, has one of the best fan bases in college football, hands down. Um, the amount of just random fans being like, you know, oh, it's good to see y'all again. And even after the game, be like, y'all played a really good game. You know, congratulations. You know, just genuinely like super nice about everything super complimentary to towards OU. It was awesome. The uh, in-game presentation as well. Um, obviously, like the intro they ran essentially was an intro for OU and Nebraska, kind of talking about both teams, like legends side by side. So it'd be like Switzer and Osborne and, you know, all these legends next to each other. I'm like, this is a little nice, but okay. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It, 
it, it felt like they put a lot into the presentation of welcoming OU back. And that's something I thought that was really cool. It's, it's truly just a, a special different place. Um, and I highly, highly recommend to any OU fans who didn't make the trip trip this year, uh, on the return trip, I believe in 2030, definitely try to make that because this is a special, special game, a special place, awesome town. Uh, I absolutely loved it, but, um, no, that respect factor though. I, I think, I think you're, you're right. Um, we've never really seen, or we, we've seen really in the past three games that when OU gets ahead, Brent's not the type of guy who will try to step on your neck and, you know, really run it up, really embarrass you. He sends in Davis Bevel to uh, hand it up, hand it off a bunch of times. And I'll say this, I, I feel like their management up a lot is better than Lincoln's just in terms of like, we're not going to make mistakes. We're just going to run boring, crappy offense, not get fancy with it. Just, you know, just try to, just try to run the clock down. And I think it, it worked in that aspect, but also I don't think it could be like, Oh, Davis Bevel, that second half when, you know, we took off the, you know, our, our foot off the pedal was awful because they weren't trying. They weren't trying to really, you know, score. They were just trying to run the clock down. So I agree with you. I think, I think the respect was definitely there and um, yeah, uh, just a really cool, really cool day. Now Nebraska put out their second unit before OU did. So let that just be known. Um, Chuba Purdy came in, in the middle of the third quarter and absolutely floored me. That just surprised me because I feel like in a game like this, especially in the first time head coaching job, Mickey Joseph, he would rat it out with Casey Thompson. But I mean, Chuba Purdy is, one of the better backup quarterbacks in college football. I mean, he was a high-end guy that people were looking at the transfer portal, a guy that OU was even looking at, too, as that backup quarterback, and he ended up going to Nebraska. So I don't know how much of it was them throwing in the towel that early or more so they just wanted to get a different look. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question for sure. I think watching it back, I think he came in individually initially. Uh, so I think it may have been, okay. uh, did, I think, may, right. yeah, I think maybe Nebraska was like, Hey, let's try to change stuff up initially. And then, but I, very quickly, I, very quickly, I think they realized uh, when they saw what we were doing, it seemed, but maybe they did have the same idea first. I, I will say, yeah. uh, Cuba Purdy was uh, frightening at first to hear that because I thought that they had some sort of, uh, like Avengers type combination of Chuba Hubbard and, <laughs> and Brock Purdy, like some sort of lab created anti OU mutant. Like they're like, well, combine Chuba Hubbard and Brock Purdy into the one player that can defeat OU. They would have needed like a, a Kansas state, a, a Thompson as well on there. Maybe it's a really pose. A Colin threat. Klein. Throw in a yeah. locket. Yeah. Locket. Yeah. Yeah. Locket. That's what I meant. Yeah. But no, I no for, no, for sure. That, that is pretty funny. And he, he looked okay. You know, seven for 11, you know, kind of just, Dinked and dunked. He didn't look any he worse. Than had two turnovers, about. though. He should have had two turnovers. He was a little bit yeah. barren out there. I really like the way our defense played in the second half. But kind of getting back on track, let's just kind of talk about the overall defensive group, kind of like we usually do with each episode. First, I mean, I was really proud of how this defense played. And you know, guys, how I said last week, who was the best player on the field by the eye test? Um, and I thought it was Danny Stutzman by the eye test for me. I thought it was Billy Bowman this game. I thought he was all over the field. He's making good tackles. He was, he was making sure nothing went off the top of him after that first drive. I was really impressed by the way he played. And I see a very clear leader 
and him in the defensive back room, and then a very clear leader with Stutzman in the linebacker room. Yeah, uh, I mean, he he was incredible. Bowman has been probably our best, most consistent player the entire season. Um, I will say I test the guy who popped out to me initially uh, and uh, probably can't give him a game ball now because he got ejected. Deshaun White, I thought he was all over the field. He looked awesome. Definitely his best performance I saw in the Sooner uniform. But um, obviously that ejection for targeting, um, not great, not ideal. Thankfully, we didn't need him too much after that. It's kind of a blessing, though, um, because Jaron Canick coming in at that cheetah position behind him, overtaking Justin Harrington. Man, did he look fire in that rest of the game. Honestly, I would not be surprised if he is barking at Deshaun White's starting job right now. Oh, yeah. Canick looked awesome. Ty, Ty, what do you think? Well, I did, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I that was one of my individual, make sure we mentioned this points. Uh, I wanted to address it because it was just one of those. And, and obviously, you know, someone may feel differently, but he didn't hit him that hard. And it didn't really look all that uh, intentional. Obviously, you know, you can criticize the the way the hit ended up occurring, because at, at the end of the day, you know, what occurred is 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 what occurred. But it was it was just sort of one of those like, hey, the rules here for safety, like it, it clearly was not malicious uh, on his end. And uh, it didn't it didn't certainly seem too dangerous. It was one of those like, hey, it's in the rule book. We got to follow the rule book. It it fits the criteria like it was there was it didn't seem, you know, back to the respect thing. There didn't seem to be much sort of animosity there or, or anything. So it, it did certainly seem to me like he was going in and sort of, it, you know, it's a very quick, very quick game. The, the football as as those that watch it know but it, it seemed like he just sort of had slightly yes. misjudged the distance and and the angle that he was approaching from because if you watch it his head is coming up as he's uh actually initiating mm-hmm. the contact and yeah. it, you know he was just it, sort of in the motion and it it was a you know like sort of a bang bang play but just enough that it was it was negative but he had a he had a game for getting ejected still was tied for the lead in solo tackles and i think he was third or fourth on overall tackles, even after, or well, even before getting ejected from the game. So that was, uh, who knows what his stats would have looked like if he continued. Uh, and it's, it almost makes me, you know, not to, not to doubt the person that came in, in, in place of him, but it almost makes me think that maybe that position specifically was really, uh, able to, to, uh, outperform, I guess, whoever they would have been typically matching up with on Nebraska's O-line. Uh, in a lot of situations, because it, it, yeah. if you put anyone in the same position and they're sort of overperforming more than than they usually do, uh, it, it might be the other side of the map and the moves that they're making. But uh, yeah, excellent game by both guys. Oh, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is that Nebraska offensive line was uh, just utterly atrocious, awful, awful, awful offensive line performance from them. And, you know, I. I got to say, oh, use defense just ran wild on them. And, you know, I, I don't know what was going on there, but. Um, you know, essentially after that first Nebraska drive, they were just all over, all over Casey Thompson, all over that backfield. It was really awesome to watch. Uh, Jaron Kanek led the team with 10 tackles total, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Deshaun White, um, uh, shared second place with, um, Key Lawrence and David Aguebu, both having six. Uh, and then he shared the lead for uh, solo tackles with four with uh, Key Lawrence. So uh, definitely great performance. Um, Ty, what do you what did you think about Bowman? Uh, his performance. Uh, I, I know me and Jameson kind of talked about it yeah. a little bit, but um, your thoughts? Yeah, he had a another just a really solid game. Uh, and this one, I think, maybe is the more 
more indicative one uh, of performances down the road because like we talked about, uh, you know, this was it, it, the numbers, I guess, sort of bear it out and, and obviously a lot of unfortunate circumstances and extenuating circumstances for Nebraska. But this was the best offense that we've seen so far. And this is a team that has been really stumbling this year, but you can't discount last year where, where they did perform admirably in a lot of situations. And, you know, Casey Thompson, a guy who has, he's never beaten OU, but he's given us fits uh, plenty of times. And, and that was, it was really good to see. So it's really good to see uh, this sort of upward trajectory and I actually like our schedule as I look at it right now uh, for Bowman and, and for everyone on, on the OU defense, uh, because we have a, it's almost like curriculum style, I would say. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be too much of a homer. I know we're going to get kicked in the teeth at some point and, and we're going to have some gut punches. They come down the road, but we have a, a schedule right now that is very conducive towards uh, we're easing into things and, and we're almost seeing one, if you're looking at it from the defensive side, we're seeing sort of one threat easy at a time. You know, we're getting those practice problems in and, and this was sort of our practice problem uh, quarterbacks that can maybe give us fits in some situations and we performed really well. And right before I hand it off to you guys, I feel like he gets forgotten because we have so many new names that are really performing. But uh, Ogwebu, another good game. Uh, all the linebackers having good games. He's been a guy that we've seen for a couple of years on on OU, and he's continuing to perform. I think it's just sort of getting overshadowed storyline-wise because we have these flashy new names uh, that are coming out here like Danny Stutzman. I think that's very fair. Yeah, really good game for, uh, from Ogwebu as well. Um Jameson also wanted to mention a name that I kind of mentioned a little bit there. Uh, Key Lawrence, he has been kind of missing some time with injuries. We weren't sure if he'd play, but he got the green light, and I thought he played very well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he slotted into the starting lineup back who he was in the first game in this next game versus Kansas State on Saturday. Uh, he didn't get the start with Justin Broyles being in that spot to start the game, and then he finished it out. And I thought the way he played in the second half, he was playing like one of the best players on the field. He should have had two interceptions. He got one, but he should have had two versus Chuba. And it just seems like he's a difference maker out there. I think Justin Bros is a great guy. He's a high, um, high energy guy, great leader. He does what he needs to do, but Key Lawrence can be a difference maker on the, uh, on the defense. And to have those type of guys, especially opposite another guy that's been passing my eye test right now in Billy Bowman, I think that's our most pinnacle safety group um, i'm very curious to see what we do coming in with starting lineups on saturday versus k-state yeah and I, I think it's pretty cool that we're now in a position where it's you you can switch it up where there are questions about who will play simply because we have a lot of good players now a lot of good performers rather than you know oh we, we just gotta throw him in there because he's the best option we have the um uh, you know the good old Buki era, I suppose. But um, yeah, I don't know. Very good. Very good. Oh, I miss those days. Those were yeah. the fun days. Every podcast was an adventure in the Buki era. Oh, yes, it was. We loved I that. do. As as we move on, I, I do want to touch on real quick a, a point you just made, Bobby. I don't know necessarily that we have anyone that is really a super, super standout on the defense. You know, I don't know if we have like a guy that's going to eventually end up being a, a sort of a big NFL performer or, or prospect. Obviously anything can happen, but uh, the, especially not this year, I'm trying to think of the right term, but there is tremendous depth uh, within the defense. It, it's everyone is at a very consistent level and none of it is really disappointing. And everyone is, I would say good. I would rate everyone as, as good. If we're going back to the letter grades that we like to use, 
Uh, I think I no one on the defense right now has below a B, certainly. So uh, that is that is really, really good because I would much, much rather, and, and I'm sure people that know a lot more about football than I would agree, I would much rather have an entire defense where everyone is good than a defense where you know, one side of the field is great. The other side of the field is really questionable. That goes back to my classic. It's better to be a, a wide receiver number two at the college level because a lot of off or a lot of defenses are forced into this. Here's our best guy. We'll match up with their best guy and then hope for the best with the rest situation when it comes to defensive matchups. It's a tremendous advantage for us if we have a, a depth and, and a parity of skill across the board. It, it eases planning and, and scheming and it, it makes things like injuries much less. Uh, much less significant. So that is, I think that's an advantage. I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm not seeing a whole lot of standout stars, but I'm seeing a, a I'm seeing a, maybe not a, a whole bunch of standout stars. We might not have a, a North star, but we certainly have a, a constellation of, of stars that are, are bright enough to lead the way. We have, yeah, a, we have like a, a big difference. Yeah. I like it. And I, I think that's kind of indicative of what this OU team as a whole is, you know, it's, it's not as, you know, flashy is star heavy. You know, I, I don't think they're, you know, Gabriel, for example, is a guy who could win a Heisman. But the thing is, you know, other it, it, throw the flash out. It doesn't matter. What this team has is balance. They are pretty dang good at every single aspect of the game uh, from offense, defense, special teams now has taken a shine. And we'll talk about them a little bit later. But I think consistency uh, overall just overall balance is something that really shines through on this team. And I think it's a, an absolute strength. Yeah. They don't have the flashiest guys. Um, just look at the preseason, uh, you know, uh, all, uh, all big 12 teams, you know, they, uh, I think OU and Kansas both had one and that was it. But at the end of the day, I feel like the unit as a whole feels a bit like quite a bit better than it was last year. Um, despite the lack of, I guess, uh, like you said, like a stars, it's a, it's a good damn constellation for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the best way to say it. Um, overall for my game ball for this game, honestly, it, it's tough. It really is because there's no obvious stat pusher that we kind of look at. There wasn't like big turnover that, um, changed this game. It was kind of just cruise controlling, and I thought that Billy Bowman looked the best in terms of the eye test in the first half, and that's what I think means the most in terms of who deserved the game ball because the game was won in the first half. The game was not won in the second half. The game was won in the first half, and I thought Billy Bowman, the way he played, even on those intangible things, just being in the right place at the right time, um, making all of the right movements in the back end, um, he gets my game ball. Yeah, 100%. And I, I will also want to shout out, the defensive line was great as well. Um, I thought Ethan Downs had an incredible performance. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, I, Redmond had, had that really massive sack that's hanging out in our thumbnail. And then, uh, hey, we got a little bit of a Jonah Lualu action as well. So, um, mm -hmm. definitely, get, definitely gets a lot of, should get a lot of, a lot more respect than uh, we might have accidentally not given them in terms of, uh, conversation distribution but damn they were good um and it's, it's hard not to give the, the game ball to bowman but i i gotta give it to bowman i think he was just so balanced so good best player in the field uh it would have been would it would have been to sean white if he didn't get ejected but um no i'm giving it to bowman so yeah real quick i i will say on the d line i i kind of thought about that at coming into 
this pod and it was sort of a, it was just a game that wasn't conducive to the D line really being able to show their skills uh, from the threat that Nebraska presented to us. And then from our scheme and the way we were uh, combating what they, what they presented to us, it was just, we had a, a scheme and, and matchups that were very conducive to the linebackers having really good stats and having a big highlight real stuff. And uh, just the way that the matchups occurred and, and panned out the D line, had a, a, an excellent game, an excellent performance, but it was just one of those, you know, I, the stereotypical line thing of you're in the trenches and you're grinding and you're, you have to give a hundred percent effort every play. There's no sitting there shuffling, watch the quarterback's eyes. It doesn't come your way. You relax when you're on the line, you know, and you're out there, you're giving a hundred percent or you're getting pancaked and everyone can see it. So D line, great game. And just sort of, uh, it, it didn't pan out, you know, the didn't come their way in terms of being able to show off, but I will say, that my defensive game ball, and I'm not trying to be contrarian or, or stir the pot, but I will go to Sean White. Uh, it would be a little more emphatic if he had meant to hit him, if he had meant to hurt him. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm a big, uh, you know, shout out Sean Payton. I think we should do bounties uh, for people, but um, I'm, I'm sure NIL ba- bounties. I'm now, there, NIL bounties. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have uh, if, if you if you take if you take out someone else that has a higher nil than you 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 get yeah NIL. you get I will God I want to be a donor one day and I can uh, I can donor match I'll do that I'll have a bounty like a prize bounty and if you if you take out a, an opposing player I will give you whatever their one year of nil is uh, that'll really motivate the boys. Can we start our own collective? The, the I bounty feel like, collective. I feel like it, this is a, a big gray them? area. But so here was the thing with bounties, I right? It was bounties were illegal because it was the teams doing it. I feel like nil is being slept on uh, because they everyone has the whole oh nil is legal because it's not the schools or the teams doing it. They're talking about paying the players. I think that same legal justification can be used for bounties. So we'll have to we'll have to discuss this when Blake is on. But uh, yeah, Deshaun White, excluding that, that will be a, certainly a mark against him if we're being serious. But uh, for having a short game from what was already a short game for everyone and still standing out on the stats, and he's a guy that we haven't been able to recognize with one thus far this year. So give me Deshaun White defensive game ball uh, with an asterisk next to it, of course. Yeah. Fair enough. I like it. I like it. Good, uh, good picks all around. Jaron Kanuck also close, not quite there. It seems uh, he did have that fumble recovery, but it just kind of popped out in front of him. So uh, good, good game for Kanuck as well. Hey everybody, it's Bobby Howard. And before we start the show, I just kind of want to talk to y'all for a second. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of college football preview podcasts and you know, it's, it's really been great. It's got me hyped for the season. And one reason it's been great to listen to because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. You know, I really like the versatility of Raycon's. If you're really wanting to lock in, really just immerse yourself in what you're doing, that is where the noise isolation feature comes in. Just block everything out. It's great. But you know what? Sometimes you can't just, you know, shell yourself off. So that's where you go to awareness mode, where you can have some audio come in. You can do errands. You can act like a normal human being. 
and uh, still listen to what you want. So I feel like that's actually pretty great. The Raycons really are great, though, whenever I'm not editing the podcast. Just kick back, listen to some red dirt. Feels like you're right in the middle of Kane's ballroom. It's great. I love it. So... Look, if you want to be like me, jump on the Raycon train. Go to buyraycon.com slash TPPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TPPN to score 15% off. One more time, that is buyraycon.com slash TPPN. Use promo code TPPN15. That's TPPN15. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any team in the NFL to win. And if your team leads by 10 at any point in the game, you get paid instantly, even if that team ends up losing. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TPPN. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Now, back to the Schooner Pod. All right, let's move on to the offense. Uh, an incredible performance. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, kind of nervy first drive where I feel like, honestly, the atmosphere was incredible. It, it I think, really kind of um, was something OU as a whole had to overcome because it was loud. It was it was noisy, but they had the wherewithal to, you know, bounce back on it, uh, make big plays. That that uh, Dylan Gabriel run was wild. Um, but overall, great performance. Forty nine points could have been way, way more. Um, and let's just start it. Let's just start with the with, with uh, you know the man behind the center, uh, Gabriel. So Jameson, first of all, I didn't know he could run like that. Uh, I don't know if he knew he could run like that. But um, what were your thoughts on Gabriel's game? Uh, certainly, I think the best performance we've seen him in a Sooner uniform. Uh, and I don't know, what, what, how would you grade it? Or how would you look at it? I'd, I'd give it a B plus. I wouldn't give it an A just yet because there are still some of those um, misfires that he had that where I've been kind of questioning his accuracy that he still had. But he had a couple of balls that were right on the money. I think the uh, deep ball to Marvin Mims that got the pass interference was a beautiful ball and was right in the bread basket if it wasn't interfered with. And that, you know, that draw, that QB draw play, the first thing that went to my head, and I know I saw a lot of other people had the same thought in my head whenever I was on Twitter, is Jeff Levy just going to call it like he's Matt Corral? Like that's a Matt Corral play that we saw millions and millions and millions of times at Ole Miss. And I don't think, you know, Dylan Gabriel is not like that, but he shows he can. He was aggressive with that run. He didn't want to go down. He rode the sideline. He cut inside. Like, he's an he's a, you know, a runner that can. He's not the best runner, but he shows he has that can part of the running. He's like the, he's like the you know, the little engine that could, you know. He, he just keeps keeps pushing on. Um, and I, 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 I think that's admirable. I think he's a competitor, but you're right. There are issues. Like I, I feel like he kept throwing a little too high. He was missing guys there a little high there. Really bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. But for every bad play like that, there's at least like two that are just absolute dimes. Uh, that, that for me, that, that uh, touchdown to Weiss 
to uh, I believe that was his last touchdown. Mm-hmm. Just yes. absolutely on a rope to the man. It was beautiful. The only place you could throw it to. It, he had to throw that a little bit behind and low, and it was right then and there. Um, it's just a consistency thing with him. Yeah, and I think that just you know that's something that uh, I feel like we've seen him be more consistent. Like the consistency has grown. It's definitely it's just definitely not there yet. Um, so I, I don't know. It was, it was encouraging to me, especially on the road, tough environment. Uh, but I, I, I'm with you. He's not a finished product yet. Um, Ty, what did you think about Gabriel's game? Yeah. So I want to say this it, it, as respectfully as possible, but I, I think analogies are a good way of, of describing things, especially on the medium that, that we discuss things. And I think sometimes analogies can be taken incorrectly, but one of the things or, or it, analogies can sometimes seem, seem to be a bit more, disrespectful than they're intended to be. Uh, and a lot of the times I do mean much disrespect to the players that we talk about. And I will tell this to their faces if I see them on campus, just to clarify. Okay. But, uh, Dylan Gabriel, I say this with respect. Uh, it's it's very much helped me watching the game and sort of helped my understanding of our offense. And I think maybe to some extent he might not think about it this way, but I think Levy, looking at the way he schemes, may think about it this way. When I look at Dylan Gabriel – I had this idea of the stereotypical OU quarterback, like we've been talking about, the guy that's going to be at the Heisman ceremony, whether he's the favorite or the not, because he's going to be doing electric things. He's going to have great performances. He's going to be the chippy, plucky guy pulling out the Sooner Magic. I mean, Baker Mayfield, in my mind, is the stereotypical OU quarterback. I think, I'm not saying he's the best, but I see even going back to Bradford and, and guys before, you see that sort of same archetype in a lot of ways. Dylan Gabriel, when I was trying to think of him as a in stereotypical OU quarterback and fit him into that box and that archetype, just wasn't working. And when I started to think about Dylan Gabriel as a middleman, and this is why I'm saying this respectfully, uh, it really started to help out my understanding of his employment within the offense as the talent that he is and, and sort of our scheme. I think he is our offensive middleman i don't think he's necessarily a game manager i don't think he's necessarily he could be a leader in the locker room uh but i don't necessarily know that he's a sort of a game uh leader i see him almost as a a middleman you know the 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 big eye in the sky is calling the plays and obviously he has some decision making ability but his job is to get the ball from his hands into the talent that's going to make the plays happens hands whether that's the running backs or or the receivers. Whereas I think go back to like Kyler Murray or even Jalen Hurts, for example, you put the ball in their hands and they're going to make magic happen. And uh, that's not how I view uh, Dylan Gabriel. And that's not a bad thing. I think he fits that, that sort of uh, get the ball to the talent role much better. Yeah. He, he I, I get that. I think he does kind of have that sort of vibe. I would, I would certainly agree with that, but um, I think that's, I think that's one thing that we're going to have to, kind of learn a bit is that's okay that he's like that. He doesn't have to be this, you know, superhuman hero, like that saves us, you know, when we, we, you know, that can bail us out because, you know, as fun as that is, I don't know if that's the best way to, I I, I guess, sort of run a team. So um, no, I, I, I agree. I think changing your kind of mindset of it, I think definitely is important. Definitely. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also so obviously Gabriel good performance, but I feel like receiving wise that was the star of the passing game by far. Um, an insane amount of players went and got catches, and the amount of players who got multiple receptions was also just really cool. 
Um, I feel like it's as good. This receiving room is as good as it's been. Marvin Mims had another really big game, but also Jaleel Farouk had a big game and Theo Weiss and Drake Stoops showed up and made those plays that he always makes. And it was great. I loved it. Um, Jameson, what are your thoughts on, um, what are your thoughts on, I, I guess this balance of the receiving game, the receiving core, what would you think of, uh, of everything? To be honest? Yes. We had a balance in this game on Saturday, but to be honest with you, it's not really as balanced as we've seen in the past, like the recent past. I think Marvin Mims is clear in a way Dylan Gabriel's favorite target. And I think he's getting a significant amount of the targets um, in terms of being a clear wide receiver one. Last year we talked about there. I don't even know if there's a clear wide receiver one. We had our arguments about Marvin Mims versus Jaden Hazelwood as you know, wide receiver ones like, mm-mm. Like this, this is not that case anymore. He's clear, but I was really, really proud and happy to see Jalil Farouk have a better game. It seems like he is a guy who kind of got stuck by the wayside behind him, um, Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss. It seems like Dylan Gabriel was looking his way more. And if it wasn't for, you know, a non-accurate pass, I think, you know, Farouk could have had two touchdowns. Yeah, Farouk went, absolutely went off. It was good to see him, you know, as someone who has had a lot of Jalil Farouk like stock ever since like that crazy Alamo bowl. Uh, it was good to see that kind of pay off a little bit more. Ty, your thoughts on the receiving core. I know, uh, I know you've been tough on Theo Weiss in the past, I know, but he had a pretty good game, but overall, what? What, what, what did you think about it? He wasn't tough. Didn't he get his game ball last week? He did. He did. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Over well, the off did, season, no, but, over but, the but much more it, years in the past, you know, and, and sort of grouping him in with that, that big three or, or whatever they were called. Uh, five-star receiver group but uh, Theo Weiss specifically he had a big boy like that looked like a that highlight of the Theo Weiss touchdown catch looked like if you could sort of uh, sanitize it sort of gray it out you couldn't tell who's playing who and you showed that to someone you'd say oh yeah that's a catch by a top 10 receiver in the NFL that's what it looked like it was a it was a big boy throw but it was a big boy catch uh, more so than it was a throw because the throw maybe could have been a little, a little better, maybe. Not that I could do better, but I the throw certainly had Tom Brady thrown it, it would not have been where it was. And, and it was and a lefty quarterback, and you knew that that was yeah, yeah. But that was that was a that was a big boy high level catch. I will give him that. But I yeah, I think the uh, the receiving core. I, I sort of alluded to it last week. I, I had this feeling after Kent State that when it came to the passing attack, it was for the first time in a long time when it comes to OU the receivers that are making it happen more than the quarterback. And, and you touched on a good point of Mims being the clear favorite. I think he is. But when I rewatched the highlights, I kind of had a feeling about this during the game. But when I rewatched the highlights, and again, it is a an admittedly down bad Nebraska team, but Mims was earning those targets. Those were not, because some of them were really, really, why are you throwing that that way, dude? Uh, but Mims was out there, earning those targets. He was getting open, making plays, burning his guys, running his routes in the way that was taking advantage of, of the gaps in the coverage and, and everything else. He was reading the defenses, adjusting to it. It was, a, it was you know, the numbers almost don't bear it out, but it, I think it's a, it was another masterclass in being a really, really high level, uh, you know, top 25 team, top 25 team in college football receiver. I don't know if he's the top 25 receiver in college football, but he's, he's certainly, he looks like a WR number one on a top 25 or top 10 team. He, he looks the part and he's got a, an excellent uh, ensemble of 
of receivers behind him. I think we were sort of artificially uh, creating targets for uh, Farouk, like we mentioned. I, I think in, in terms of, of the scheme, sort of putting him out there, putting him in positions where we're like, hey, let's put him in a position where we know he's going to get open, give him some targets, and see how he plays in a game. Uh, and I think that was occurring while this was still a game. Like we talked about it, it, it sort of turned into a free practice or a, a friendly scrimmage towards the end, uh, respectfully. But I think Farouk, there, I think there was very clearly a deliberate decision by the coaching staff to say, hey, let's get him out there, play him more of you know, a, a WR2 type dude, WR3 type dude, and, and slot him in and see how he does. And he really showed out as well. But uh, everyone showed out. And yeah, special mention, as always, to, to Drake Stoops, just being reliable, being there when you need him. He is the receiving core equivalent of like that, those memes about like, we all have one friend, we can call him up and say, hey, bring a shovel, don't ask any questions type thing <laughs> uh, from terrible Facebook memes. But that's that's him as a receiver. It's just nothing else works. He's out there throw it to him he'll he'll figure out a way so i feel like that terrible facebook meme would also include minions for some reason that makes zero yeah zero it would minions. it would include a minion smoking a cigar <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny that's funny no I, I mean it was it was a great day and stoops hearing the stoops chants on the road oh that's that's so fun that's always a good time um so uh really cool really really cool showing from the ou uh supporters there as well um, let's talk about what I think is the, was the strongest, uh, unit of the offense rushing game. Uh, obviously Dylan Gabriel had his run, but Eric Gray, incredible performance, 11 carries 113 yards, average 10 yards per carry, two touchdowns. What a day for Eric Gray. Uh, Javante Barnes also played well. Uh, but to me, Gray was just remarkable. He was unstoppable. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think I think he also pissed the most amount of Nebraska fans off just because they weren't even getting close to touching him. That that's where the that's where the most frustration I think I I heard was they're just like they're not even like close to him. This is ridiculous. So I, I loved it. Uh, Jameson, your thoughts on Eric Gray's big day. I was really impressed. I really was. I, I kind of said it in my immediate postgame reaction episode. He wanted to go out and show up. I'm sure that college students and people listen to the media. They look at Twitter. They look at people tweeting about, oh, Marcus Major deserves to be RB1. I haven't been as happy with um, Eric Gray. Seems like he's trying to get too fancy. I'm sure these guys hear it. And to have a game like this helps his confidence so much to the point where I feel like he can be his, you know, go out to his full potential. And he exposed the Nebraska poor linebacker play. While Marcus Major had the big highlight reel that got, you know, the video went viral of him juking out the guy into the oblivion uh, last week, Eric Gray put his right foot in the dirt and got a touchdown, absolutely smoked the safety um, this week. I was really happy the way Eric Gray played. I think he could have even had a bigger game if it was, you know, a more, uh, obviously, if he had more snaps, he'd have more um, yards, but he with the way he was playing at the pace he was playing, it, it could have been ugly if he was going to continue to get snaps for the rest of the game. Yeah, and it it felt like it felt like OU was trying to do more on offense just because you know when you have a test, you don't want to just do the same thing that works every time. But if they just handed the ball to Gray over and over and over again, that was going to get really bad really quick. Um, Ty, your thoughts on Gray and the rushing game as a whole? Here's here's something specifically to, on Gray to mention. 
Let me just read off his stats real quick because they are very, very good. So he caught one for four yards, eh, but then he went out there and he put up on 11 carries, 113 yards, like you said, averaged 10.3 with two touchdowns and a long of 25. But here's the thing. Like we talked about, he certainly didn't play towards the end of the game. I don't know that he was out on the field for much more than those 12 plays that he touched the ball. I, I really think like if you go back, obviously, you know, he was out there for some pass blocks or whatever else. And, and uh, I really, if you really dive into the point I'm making, it doesn't make much sense because how else is he going to get stats if he doesn't touch the ball? But on pretty much 12 plays, he went out there and put up the stats that he did. If he was out there and was the only guy, because Major was getting a fair share of stuff and Major was getting sort of, drawing the the long straw from the draw as well and getting the, hey, you're going to be the guy in the end zone on the trick play for the touchdown reception. Like that's going to pad your stats, obviously. And I'll talk about Major here in a second, or I'm sure we all will. But keeping it on Gray, he got 12 opportunities to show what he could do and he showed out. Had he been the main dude, because he was, what I'm saying is he was splitting time for the two and a half quarters that he was out there. I think it was a pretty even 50-50 split. Gray is clearly the rb1 i don't think anyone actually making decisions at ou uh has any doubts about that and gray got some play calls that were just sort of we're going to run it up your face and, and sort of gut punch the defense type thing and, and use it to open up had he been out there being the main dude getting say 75 percent of carries like most main rbs get and like i expect him to get in big games his stats would have been insane uh so keeping it just on gray for right now he had an absolute, the stats don't bear it out. He had a ball game and it would have been bad, bad for Nebraska. It would have been dirty. It would have been, you know, or we're getting into territory of like, oh goodness, this guy could be, we're talking about some single game uh, records maybe, uh, at least for this rivalry or something like that or, or coming into play had we kept on the gas and kept him out there as the main dude. I, I believe rivalry wise, I, this was one of the best rushing performances, if not the best rushing performance OU has ever had in Lincoln. Uh, I, I saw or my, my friend uh, Thomas on the drive back uh, mentioned something like that, but I, I couldn't, I can't cite it exactly. Thomas is hundred percent reliable, trustworthy, <laughs> always, always fact checked, triple, triple blinds, uh, peer reviewed, randomized control trial. Yeah. Anything that he says, Always, always has to be 100% for sure. But um, no, I mean, it was really good. And, and Gray got the least uh, of the bell cow backs. So not Gabriel or, you know, like Davis Bevel, you know, j just of people who are the legitimate running backs. He got the least amount of carries uh, behind Major and Barnes. So yeah, it, he could have done a lot more. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. And it should be scary for everybody else in the Big 12. That's for sure. Let's talk mm -hmm. about um, let's talk about major because I think Javante Barnes mainly got his burn in uh, in garbage time. What do you think yes. about uh, major's performance, uh, James? Same old, same old. I I think we're seeing a very clear role for how he plays. He's coming into the heavy packages. He's going to go get the touchdowns in the goal line, and Eric Gray is going to get us down the field. And the way he's finishing plays is great. Obviously, uh, getting two touchdowns. That just seems like it's going to be his motto for the rest of the season. He's becoming a reliable guy. And to think that we were in that position a couple of years ago or even last year, where we're like, are we going to even be able to utilize this guy? Now we're thinking like this guy might be one of the more reliable guys on our offense. 
Oh, absolutely. And he has he has his role. And you might see 12 carries, 35 yards, and be like, man, I'm not sure about that. But he absolutely has a, nece- a, nece- a necessity, a necessary part to that offense that just, while, you know, it's kind of like Nick Collison, you know, he would, he would have uh, additions to the offense, to the team as a whole that you might not notice on the stat sheet, but super important. Mm. And Major, I thought, did an excellent job. Um, just, just Nick Collison wasn't ITS, putting up touchdowns, though. He got a touchdown. He got a tutty. That's what matters. So I, I love it. Um, Nick, Ty, Nick Collison ain't going to get you any touchdowns in, for the Thunder. That dude is getting about six points and six rebounds and two assists. <laughs> That's that's fair. That's fair. Maybe not the perfect, uh, maybe not the perfect description there. But uh, Ty, your thoughts on Major? Yeah, Jameson said something that really, uh, really, really rubbed me the wrong way. He said that Ooh. going back this time last year, we, we <laughs> implying all of us. Oh, you uh, threw him in the dirt, if Major. No, I did that 2019. I was telling you guys, this guy's going to be our guy. No, but you uh, but threw I, him in the dirt when he went ineligible. You were ready to just leave him. Yeah, yeah, because him. he went ineligible because he forgot to sign up for classes. How Why does that, a, how does that occur? How does that occur at this level? It's it's absolutely anyone that's been to college or is familiar with the system that exists for starting athletes at the University of Oklahoma. You have to. It's almost like you have to actively try not to sign up for classes uh, or have any sort of academic issues. But uh, yeah, Major, I, I really, really liked what I saw because he was getting put in positions to really show out. And and that's sort of an advantage of not being the main guy. You can be the guy that goes out there and, and be the uh, sort of the, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's It's sort of like, uh, you know, mom has to be mean with the kids all day and then dad can come home from work and be like, sure, you can have ice cream type thing. Uh, that's almost the role that he's playing. He's not the main guy that's a, he's firmly the two. I, I do not understand. And again, I've, you know, we've had our, we've had our ups and downs, Marcus major and I on the podcast, but, uh, I've been in the Marcus major camp truly since 2019. You can go back and listen. I, I saw the promise there uh, from him and a, but he is it being put in positions where he can make the most of it and sort of minimize the negatives or chances for there to be negatives. But I, I really, I think he's firmly the two. I don't understand the people saying, Oh, he should be the one because if you flip the script and made him the guy that was having to do those early game before we're adjusting, you're just running it up the middle, trying to hammer people. And then uh, Eric Gray comes in and is the guy that gets to be untouched in the end zone because you call it a trick play people would be making the same argument. Oh, why'd we swap? Gray's the better one, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I think he's firmly the two, but I think that we are seeing much less of a one-two system and more of a talent A, talent B sort of package system where we can have sort of different strategies. It's not a perfect comparison, but I think it's fair for OU fans. And it it's sort of similar if you look at, at height and weight stats. Uh, obviously the play and the level of play is very different, but uh, I would I would very generally for OU fans to sort of be familiar and have that connection in their brain of, of sort of understanding what I'm trying to say. I would say we're approaching sort of a mix in P Ryan situation where you can make an argument that wow. P Ryan was the, no. P Ryan was the main guy, right? And I'm not saying that either of them are either of those guys, certainly, uh, or, or they're at that level or they're presenting the same I'm talents old. on the field and the same skill sets. But I, I'm saying, the way that we utilize them where there wasn't, there was a, I, okay. P Ryan was the one in that situation for sure. 
I think, uh, regardless. Mm. Obviously, that was debatable. But it wasn't like a main dude, main dude, main dude, load management, put in the second guy. Maybe sometimes we put in the second guy to deceive them. I think it's very much a a sort of becoming a, we have our main guy, he's our main dude for sure, but there might be packages where this one's going to fit better and he might be the main situationally. And I think we're looking at, at more of a package situation than a one-two situation. Is is I think that's the best way to say what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I would also like to say, talking about packages, um, that... Where are we going to go with this one, Bobby? Well, <laughs> oh, man, that came off wrong. <laughs> I was, hey, I was not going to go... Uh, yeah, no, uh, no, I wasn't going that direction, but speaking of like that heavy package, um, oh, goodness, whole... <laughs> no, 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 hear me out. That right after that, Mim, I believe, uh, when they ruled Mims out of the one, uh, and they had that long review, um, that first, uh, kind of play right back to scrimmage, Nebraska immediately called a timeout to reset because they were freaked out. That that lineup we put up where we had Chris Murray in the backfield with Braden Willis. And then major, like I wanted to see what the hell was going on with that. That would look that looked wild. Yeah, they were wilding out there. Um, honestly, we were just toying around in that first half. I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention the play where Braden Willis threw a touchdown. And obviously, there's historical impacts of that. But me with my recruiting angle, let the tight end show out. Malachi Coleman's watching. You know, um, Lincoln, Nebraska recruit between us and Nebraska. He's watching this game extremely close and he's seeing how much the tight ends playing well and Braden Willis and seeing how much fun he can probably have in this offense to even throw a pass. Like after that game, Nebraska's got a really um, uphill battle to try to hold him and keep him in state because I, I don't I don't see a clear future with that program where they can sell him anything. Yeah, I mean, not only did they just flat out show him, hey, we let a tight end for a pass. You'll have fun here. But Nebraska doesn't have a head coach. They don't have a high. They, they don't have anyone hired, and they won't likely have anything really set for a couple months. Who Who's recruiting him? Like, I guess I guess Mickey Joseph, but, like, still, you yeah. don't know if he's going to have a job. Learned, Probably not. We learned obviously. that likable doesn't always mean talented. You know, yeah. I understand that he's. This is just one game. This is his first game coaching in D one. But just because the team was extremely behind him and they were going to go out and fire for him, doesn't mean that he is talented enough to make a game plan to shut down OU. Yeah, that vibes can't overcome just being bad at football. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, like they had the vibes, they had all of that completely right. I was scared after the the, uh, the first. OU and Nebraska's first drive, you know, it felt like this is going to be a damn game. Um, but ultimately OU's talent just was overwhelming and just completely swamped Nebraska. And, you know, credit to OU for not letting this drag on too long or get out of hand. Um, instead of just being like, we're close, it'll be okay, we're close. OU wouldn't change that around ASAP. Brent Venables, that clip of him just yelling at his guys after that first Nebraska touchdown drive, that is what you want to see. You want to see accountability. You want to see that energy. You want to see that that light switch flip. And I think that's something that OU was able to, you know, kind of get done. And I, I think that was huge. Um, just not passively hoping things get better by doing nothing like, you know, someone else would have done. Um, anyways, that's kind of beside the point. Um, I'm with you. I think that's a that's I I'd be shocked if we don't if we don't get Coleman. But um, also, would I, I'd be remiss to not talk about the O line. 
Uh, Wanya Morris came in first time this season after whatever the hell happened with that. What did, what were your, what were your thoughts on the O-line Jameson real quick? Yeah. Uh, this is the best game by far that they played and there's really nothing to compare to it because those first two games, they were ugly. This game looks like they controlled it. It really did. And that's what opened up this whole offense. As you noticed, our running game was really good and it allowed Dylan Gabriel to even throw some bad throws, be inaccurate and still have a really, really good game. When your offensive line is um, playing well, that's the first domino and it's going to make everything else fall down. But if your offensive line isn't playing well, the running back's not going to get a hole to go up and they're going to run east and west and they're going to get tackled for losses and we're going to be play second and 12. And that's not what Lebby wants to play. Lebby wants to play second and six, second and five. That's how he, um, you know, makes his money as an offensive play caller. And that's the offensive line's job to get him ahead of the downs. And I was really, really proud about, especially how the left side of the offensive line played. Yeah, absolutely. Ty, any observations on the O-line? Yeah, here's the thing. What we saw is a a really, really solid O-line. Again, game three. So we're still developing. O-lines are a, a, they're an organism. In, in and of their, they're a five cell organism and they are something that they can sort of grow and evolve and they get better. They age like a fine wine throughout the season. Uh, obviously injuries and, and some other things can, can play into that and the grind goes on, but uh, much like the dynamic between a quarterback and his receivers and timing uh, O lines, they really, they really uh, sort of that edge sharpens as they go on. So I'm very excited to see where we are at. But uh, I will say this sort of speaks back a little bit to Dylan Gabriel and a little bit towards the game planning. And I don't want to be that guy. But what we saw was what this OU offense needs. We blew him out of the water. We could have kept on the gas. It could have been 77 to 7 at the end of the day here. But when we face tougher opponents, especially looking at how Texas played Alabama last week, uh, we need an O-line performance like this because that is what Dylan Gabriel requires uh, to be his best self or to get the ball within five yards of the receiver he's trying to target. And that is what sort of our, our scheming, we have tremendous running backs like we just mentioned, but uh, you you never can run that well when your O-line isn't doing, isn't doing that well. So our, our O-line, I think, is the single most important thing. And I don't want to be that guy, but there's going to be a time this season where we're going to struggle or we're going to falter uh, on the O-line, whether it's just bad matchups, better scheming by someone, but the day or days, who knows this season that our O-line struggles, it is going to be bad for us because of the way that we game plan, what our offense depends on. Our our running backs are running backs. They're dependent on the line blocking and we do not have a guy that can extend plays or a guy that really makes those, those high pressure, high decision throws consistently. And I, I am very happy from what I saw. Uh, but it's one of those, like, I'm really starting to notice uh, that they're really, really good right now, but we're not playing that good of opponents. And I'm really starting to see a a, uh, a very well-defined single point of failure, uh, what what some people term like a critical vulnerability of this, of this OU offense that can be schemed against. And I'm very worried that we might see a game down, down the season where someone really prepares well or really matches up well against our O-line, and we are struggling to even put points on the board, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to have sort of a different take. Hey. I, I agree with everything you guys said. They are excellent. They're the best part of the offense, but there's some deeper level, you know, hey, let's think down the road here for a second. 
Uh, and it's not their fault. All they can do is continue to be the best, but uh, we're really going to have to rely on them in, in some games. Yeah, I, I think I think if you guys listen a little bit later in this episode, we're going to kind of clip this, but still do a K-State preview. Uh, if you're worried about a defensive lineman showing out and making us look bad, um, next week, look at Felix and a DK Uzoma, I think is how you pronounce it. The edge rusher for K-State, man, he is scary. So if you're worried about like a defensive lineman making our offensive look bad, that's going to be a huge thing. But I'll talk a little bit more about that whenever we start talking about K-State. I say we start giving out game balls for the offense, Bobby. And mine's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm sure that y'all might go one direction, but I'm going to go Anton Harrison. I'm going to give the game ball to the best offensive lineman during their best game. We would have not had this performance with these seven straight touchdown drives or whatever um, if it wasn't for our offensive line dominating. And I understand the opponents, the linebackers, the defensive line in Nebraska have not been that good. Um, but it was such a fresh breath, you know, like to finally have, you know, a breath of fresh air to have a good game from our offensive line. And Anton Harrison, and they said this on the, uh, the TV cast, this might have been one of his best games that he's ever had in his career. Yeah, I I believe I've I've heard Gabe Eichard uh, excited about that as well. I, I, but no, absolutely worthy game ball right there uh, for Harrison. I I know it's easy. I know it's the obvious choice. But I'm gonna go Eric Gray. I thought he was the best player uh, on the field. Absolutely unstoppable, untouchable. Um, and frankly, if Brent and crew wanted him to, he could have put up like a Heisman level day. That is how bad he just shredded Nebraska. Uh, he was undeniable. He was incredible. This was the star performance out of him that we've all wanted to see. And all thought he was capable, all thought he was capable of. Uh, and it was thrilling to see in such a big environment in a big game. So give me Eric right there. Yeah. For my offensive game ball, I think I'm going to go – Gray is the obvious one, uh, like you mentioned, uh, but I do want to continue to change it up. And I will go uh, – I wanted to go – I wanted to sort of bend the rules, which we do do on this podcast a little bit, and go with Jeff Levy for, uh, you know, scheming. And, <laughs> and, and, and well, right, we he adjusted well. Okay, he schemed well. He wasn't afraid to put people in and, and experiment with matchups and get guys reps and – in different spots, right? I had a whole spiel on it, but I, I don't want to change it up too much. I'll go Marcus Major just to keep it different. Uh, if you're just tuning in live, go back a few minutes, you'll hear us talk all about it. So no analysis needed, but uh, that's that's my game ball. Uh, I do have one closing thought on the game, Bobby, so don't move on to K-State just yet. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this on replay, um, we're trying something, tr- trying something new. For our listeners live, though, we're going to do our K-State preview after this, but... It won't be released until a little bit later. So if you're listening live, you're getting an early access to it. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Um, But no, yeah, uh, overall, I'm just going to give my final thoughts on this game just really quick. Overall, great performance in a tough road environment. They got punched in the mouth early and OU's ability to recover, to to show that poise for such a newly created unit even though it's Nebraska, I, I I was very impressed. I know it's just the Huskers. I know they're not very good, but if you see if you see the trends, if you see just the overall feel for this team has, it's nine day compared to last year. This program is absolutely moving in the right direction. Very exciting stuff, um, and I think this is to me. 
I, I feel like the ceiling has moved uh, from just a big 12 championship to potentially a college football playoff appearance. Um, I'm, I, I'm starting to dream big again, boys. I, I, I know here I go again. I'm ready to be hurt. Bobby. I'm ready to be hurt. I think, I think OU is that good. And specifically, who else is no, nobody else around college football is really that good. Nobody right else could beat Nebraska. Nobody else could beat Nebraska 49 to 14. No, that's not what really. I'm saying. I'm saying, I'm saying you look at other teams around college football, just not quite looking. I think it's very fair. Like, cause they're I don't playing know. I think better Georgia teams. and a bunch of, it's Georgia and a bunch of all right teams. I feel like, OU, even in the bad performances or, or sorry, even in these bad games has looked stellar. And I, and personally excited about it. And I think it's clear that it's not, that there's still some ceiling to go. This team can still get better. There's room to grow. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I see it. I, I, I see it. I feel it. I think this team could go very far, but then again, I've been very wrong before in the past. I thought we were going to win a national title last year. I was dead <laughs> wrong there. Um, but that's my thoughts on it. Great win. Uh, awesome moment to be there. Super, absolutely loved every moment of it, and uh, we'll definitely be trying to go back to Lincoln next time. OU's there, Jameson. You're uh, I, I, oh, Ty, I want to give you like, do you want, yeah, do you want to go next, or do you want to, do you wanna yeah, it's, it it's real quick, it's real quick. But oh, you our, got it. our current place kicker, Zach Schmidt, okay, he is, I'm sure, a great guy. He's an OKC guy, went to uh, a Bishop McGinnis, McGinnis I'm right? Assuming he went to Bishop, uh, we know how those people can be. Uh, but we loved him. Uh, and he is a chemical engineering major on the five-year master track and has a 4-0. He's had a 4-0 the entire time he's been at OU, right? I don't need someone that I'm having to rely on for OU football that came here to play school, okay? It, it oh, can't be, right? Man. I need him out there. Oh, I need him out there kicking, okay? it's Because we, we need to cut this. He's the, probably the one true student athlete on the team. Maybe, well, he's the one true student athlete on the team that is getting play time, uh, and he is a kicker. But it, come on, right? We can pretend that people are student athletes and going to class and stuff. It's not what we need at this level of football and the level we're trying to get at, right? We need the dude that ain't come here to play school, that can't read, that has never stepped foot in Dale Hall, doesn't know what <laughs> Dale Hall is, uh, doesn't know where the biz is, doesn't know where the library is. The only thing he knows is where the freshman dorm is for – athletes so that he can go there where the freshman dorm is for non-athletes so that he can go there with people that he meets at the bars and where the practice <laughs> facility is and where the bus picks him up and where to eat which is thankfully co-located with their dorms uh to keep uh, it simple for them i don't need a dude that's a 4-0 chemical engineering major taking master's classes and is like oh i'm going to be a contributing member to the gdp and <laughs> Make this no. nation a better place by paying my taxes and supporting everyone. You're going to go miss field goals against Nebraska that are from like the 42 or something. Oh, come, come on. on. You get, give, give these kickers. He looked a like a kid. He looked like the dude out there at halftime kicking for the, like the Dr. Oh, Pepper free no. tuition. No, it wasn't. <laughs> that. I, want, I need, my thing. I need a dude who is at OU. I need like a, I need a Michael Honeycutt. I need a dude who's at OU okay, that's, that's so that he is. can kick footballs and do method picklements. Okay. <laughs> oh my that's, God. If he's going to have a thing, have it be something that is not negative to his football career. I don't need a guy that's oh going to class, studying, <laughs> okay. getting a good major. Is right? there any proof I need them that to have that a hobby. His... There's no proof that this schoolwork was led to that kick. Here's my thing, and I'll say this, and I know this is a bit, but P. 
people who talk bad about kickers right after they miss one field goal gives me so much like anger because if you are a true fan, don't be talking down to kickers. Do not be talking bad on them on social media and public I'm, outlets. It only does negative because the kicker is the most in his head position in all of football. And oh my God, if they start hearing it and they start thinking about that kick too much, it's just going to get worse. So the problem won't be the schoolwork. It'll be, it'll be you, Ty. You'll be the problem. Maybe he could just take a couple beans. It's okay. You tell me he's reading. He's not on Twitter all day with a (laughs) four O as a chemical engineering major. If if he doesn't even have time to kick, how is he going to have time to go read all these things? You you can be on Twitter a lot. Okay, right. And am I a fan? Am I a fan? kind of, of OU football, but I will never be a fan of anyone that went to Bishop McGinnis. I want that on the record uh, oh, preserved man. for posterity. Or, you know, there you it, go. it needs to be preserved uh, in continuum. I can barely tolerate the people we'll that have went to Heritage Hall. So, hey, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. There we go. That's that's one way to end it. Uh, Jameson, any final words on Nebraska? Are we uh, ready to uh, move on? No, I really hope that a lot of these people that were a little bit negative can find a little bit positive in this team now. I'm still skeptical, but I'm not negative of this team. I'm skeptical because I still have a lot to learn, but this defense, I'm buying in. I'm buying stock now. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, if you're listening live, we're going to be talking about K-State right now. If you're listening on replay, keep an eye for it on your pod feeds or check us out on YouTube. We uh, usually get our more more recent stuff out there we, first so bobby yeah, sorry we have 399 subscribers right now and i know that there's 16 people watching this please one of y'all if you aren't subscribed yet get us to 400 we're we're right there folks get us over that line um but yeah so we have we have to... 398 now oh oh goodness <laughs> did you just unsub ty i unsub so that i can teach our dear listeners how to grind harder how to <laughs> grind twice as hard it is a life lesson. Oh my God. I love it. Well, again, if you're listening on your pod on, on your podcast service of choice, thank you for listening. We'll see you in a couple days when we talk about K state. Uh, have a good one. Boomer sooner. <laughs>